Welcome to the MacVet podcast, the show that talks about communication, cows and coffee. I'm your host, Fiona McGilvery, and today I'm talking to Temple Grandin, animal behaviorist and professor of animal sciences at Colorado State University. Temple has transformed cattle handling systems across the world by applying her insights into how cattle see their environment and educating us about how systems can be designed or modified to remove associated stresses. Her affinity for understanding how animals see and interact with their environment comes from being a visual thinker. And this is something I was really keen to explore during our conversation. The recording was made during our conversation over the phone, so the audio quality is lower than usual, but I do hope this doesn't put you off enjoying what Temple has to share about communication and cows in this episode. So without further ado, Temple, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Temple, could you start by just giving me an outline as to how you came to be working in the cattle industry, please? Well, I started out, I'm now a professor of animal science at Colorado State University. But how I first got started is I got exposed to cattle as a teenager. I did not grow up in a livestock background. So that brings up a really important thing about careers. Uh, Students get interested in things they get exposed to. And I um, got exposed to beef cattle when I visited my aunt's ranch as a teenager. One of the things that helped me in my work with cattle is I'm a complete visual thinker. In fact, I've got a book out now called Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. And everything I think about is a picture. So when I first started my cattle work, it was obvious to me to look at what cattle were seeing when they were moving through races and they would refuse to move if there was a shadow or maybe a metal strut across the floor. Um, And I did not know at the time that most of the people are verbal thinkers. So they don't think about looking at what cattle were seeing. And that's some of the very first work that I did. I just had a wonderful trip uh, to the UK, just got home two days ago, looked at some great uh, rotational grazing. But I went out and I looked at a number of cattle handling facilities. And one of the problems I see is metal bars across the floor. And the cattle often don't want to walk over those metal bars. So what you need to do is cover them up with dirt. Okay. Yeah. So a a practical solution to, to an issue that you've identified. And so you talk about being a visual thinker. How do you find it is to relate to people who aren't visual thinkers, i.e. how do you go about communicating with others so they can understand what it is that you can see so they can maybe make changes or take action? Well, when I was young in my 20s, I did not know that other people thought verbally. I did not know that. And I do a lot of talks now to business leaders, and I tell them the first thing you need to understand is that people think differently. And I discovered verbal thinking when I was in my late 30s, and I'm this just explained why a lot of ranchers uh, didn't understand why what cattle were seeing was important. Yeah. And there's research now that shows that there's object visualizers like me that think in photographs often have a horrible time with higher math. There is um, mathematical, spatial, visual, spatial pattern thinkers, word thinkers, then mixtures of different kinds of thinking. Mm-hmm. And different kinds of thinkers are good at different things. Like you might have this old tradesperson who can fix any mechanical device because they just see how it works. Mm-hmm. Well, the verbal thinker is going to have a hard time with that. Yeah. And so 
obviously an amazing skill when it comes to working with cattle and identifying things that obviously might stress them or freak them out. Um, What are maybe some of the disadvantages of being a visual thinker or certainly what challenges might go along with that when you're working with other people? Well, one of the problems is that my mind jumps around. It's associative thinking, where verbal thinking is much more linear. Uh, Also, verbal thinkers leave out a lot of the detail. My mind will jump from one thing to another, but there is an association that makes sense. So, for example, let's say I think about my trip to the UK last week. I'm now seeing some of the the very nice farms that I saw with regenerative grazing, Mm -hmm. which was really great. I'm now seeing beautiful old buildings that are hundreds of years old, which we don't have that in the U.S., mm-hmm. things are much newer. So I jumped from farms to you know villages with lots of old stone buildings. Yeah. You see, there is an association there that makes sense. Mm-hmm. In terms of thinking in pictures, uh, I'm relating this to the sensory world of animals. How easy is it to recognize their their nonverbal responses, so things like fear and surprise? Well, animals, the thing about fear, there are genetic differences in fear. I'm now looking at a big high gate that a farmer told me uh, his limousine cattle jumped over it, but he bought some Angus semen from the States and he came the cattle really nice and gentle and they would never jump that gate. You see, I'm seeing a picture of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the verbal mind doesn't do this, yeah. but there's things verbal thinkers can do that I can better than what I can do. For example, when writing my book, Visual Thinking, I wrote the rough drafts of chapters and they were kind of disorganized. And then Betsy, my wonderful verbal co-writer, she um, she straightened it all out and made it much more linear. Mm-hmm. You see, that's different kinds of minds working together. Mm-hmm. Something that we need to be doing. Yeah, and I, and I know listening to some of your talks or uh, and other podcast episodes that I've uh, come across, I think it's great how you do talk about how different minds can work together to create overall, you know, fantastic um, content and, and things that will make a difference. Um, you said in one of your interviews that language covers up the visual thinking that we share with animals. Could you tell me a bit more about that, please? Well, they, they uh, like little kids are much better at visual thinking. Like, I'll show a picture that I took in a cattle handling facility of a sunbeam on the floor, and the cattle's looking right at it. And if I show that slide to young children, over half the hands go up if they saw that the animal was looking at the sunbeam. I show that to most adults, and very few hands go up. Because what research has shown that, you know, little kids are much more visual and and then when I point it out to verbal thinking adults, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see the steer is looking at that. Yeah. But they don't just see it right firsthand. So almost as we get older and we are going through school, learning to develop our language skills, would you say we? it's almost at the price or the expense of forgetting and connecting with those visual, those nonverbal skills to identify things that you just mentioned? Well, one of the problems is the visual thinking is it's a different kind of problem uh, solving. I've worked on big, heavy construction projects for 25 years, uh, designing equipment, working with brilliant people in shops, inventing mechanical devices. Yeah. It's a different type of problem solving. 
and it doesn't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. And right now, um, see, my mind jumps around. I'm now seeing a plant manager that I visited two weeks ago, very, very recently, big, gigantic beef plant in the U.S., mm-hmm. and they were building a new addition. And he says, I cannot find anybody that can work on the hydraulic systems. But you see, this is where you need that visual thinker yeah. that's going to be really bad in things like algebra. Mm. And that person can design those hydraulic systems. Mm-hmm. So coming back to your point that you said before, we need different minds working together to overcome different issues. That's right. Issues. That's uh-huh. right. Yeah. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of these different kinds of minds now getting shunted in special ed, and uh, and and they they're not doing hands-on things where they can really show their skills off. Mm. Because I work with a lot of people that we autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD own the big metal fabrication shops. And we're designing and building equipment and patenting it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, c- coming back again to your work with um, cattle handling systems, which obviously have revolutionised the way cattle are handled, and you know across the world, cattle and people have benefited from this. And you obviously, as you just said, you've been across to the UK recently, two days back <laughs> from your trip well, over. Been a lot of nice- yeah. nice new cattle handling facilities put in. Yeah. And one of the things I did on my cattle handling work from the yeah. very beginning is I wrote about it. I started writing just in the cattle magazines, yeah. how to handle cattle, yeah. how to lay out facilities. I just wrote lots of how-to articles Yeah. of how to design things, how to handle cattle, how to understand behavior principles of cattle, like flight zones and point of balance. Yeah. Some of the early work I did was on cattle temperament, and I had the hypothesis that if cattle jump all around and struggle when you restrain them, that they'd have lower weight gain. That yeah. turned out to be true. Now, 25 years later, we have many cattle that are a lot calmer. Yeah. And now I'm thinking of the, I'm seeing this big high gate where this producer said to me, yes, the Angus cattle from the semen from the U.S. are really gentle. They don't try to jump this gate. Yeah. Wow. Because there's genetic effects on temperament. See, yeah. both the animal's previous experience and genetics yeah. affects their temperament. So, like you say, from your from when you first started working with cattle, you had that immediate effect. But as you say, it's it's also followed on genetically through the generations. So, yeah, excellent. Ab- absolutely. Because the other thing I'm noticing is people are making some very very uh, lightweight, portable kinds of facilities to handle cattle in. You know, even out on extensive ranges like Montana, and uh, 25 years ago, I don't think that would have worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The cattle would have just been too wild. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done 25 mm-hmm. years of temperament selection, especially yeah. in breeds such as Angus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great point. One of the things I heard you talk about um, before, and I just wondered if you could explain a little bit more today, is uh, telling me about the shadow monster. Two years ago, I went to a big equipment startup at one of our major beef plants, and everything was working really well, really nice, brand new system. I had helped them design huge, big plant. And then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, these cattle decided they were not going to go through the system, and a shadow appeared that was cast by the overhead structure that I called the spider monster, Um, and they would not walk over the shadow. You see, in the morning, the shadow wasn't there, but in the afternoon, it appeared. And on a sunny day, you'd have the shadow, 
but on a cloudy day, it would not be there. Yeah. So it was only on a bright, sunny day at a certain time in the afternoon that they got this shadow. Right. Wow. So a lot of observational skills to come up with something that was really having an impact on the cattle. Yeah. Well, and I, I remember walking out there and seeing it and going, oh, instantly knew. But I don't think some of the people there handling the cattle, like, saw the shadow. Oh. I saw it instantly and I go, oh, I can tell you why these cattle won't walk over that. Yeah, yeah. And on that point, I, I wonder through the many different trainings you've done now on sort of stress-free stockmanship uh, and, the, and the talks you've given, do you, do you feel and do you experience that people who've been on those trainings, do you think they become more observant and they're perhaps better at reading nonverbal uh, signals from, from the animals? Well, I try to train people for this in my class. Um, I really emphasize observation. In fact, um, we have a new program, I call it KELT, and I don't know what that stands for, but like, they want me to write about what things do students learn in my class other than the cattle handling. And I said one of the first things I really emphasize is the importance of observation. Mm. Like noticing that the animal is stopping and putting its head down at a shadow. Yeah. Stopping and looking at a coat on a fence. Yeah. You know, noticing detail. That observation is something that's really important. I really emphasize that. Yeah. And let's say the cattle do stop, your lead animal stops at a shadow, wait, and the leader puts the head down to look at the shadow, or maybe look at the bar that goes across the ground. There's a lot of new facilities that have bars on the ground. Mm. Wait for the leader to lift up its head and then push him. If the leader is got the nose down, looking at the shadow, looking at the piece of metal on the ground, just wait five seconds for that leader to raise the head back up and then you push it. Because once the leader goes over the shadow, all the other cattle will follow. But if you just push the leader too hard, he'll get afraid and may turn back. Yeah. Like you say, it starts with observation, doesn't it? And then you work with the, yeah, the cattle's behavior to, to overcome these issues that probably no one thought about. If you have bars going across a concrete floor in a cattle facility, and a lot of the prefabricated pre-manufactured facilities have bars on the ground. Um, I saw two of them on this trip uh, last week. I would recommend um, uh, covering them with dirt. You want the ground to all look the same because any place is a change in the ground, like maybe going from dirt to concrete, dirt to a steel bar, they tend to stop. And so you might cover those bars that are inside that facility with dirt or sand. And then if you have concrete going to dirt, I would scuff some of the dirt onto the edge so that it's not a distinct line. You see, now as I'm talking to you about this, I seeing actually in the UK scuffing dirt up on where there was a piece of concrete so that the line between dirt and concrete was less distinct. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, excellent. And, and such what seems to be very simple solutions, but having a massive impact. So I, I'm, I'm, thank you very much for sharing that as well for all our listeners, if they're having similar issues. Well, that's um, really, really simple stuff. Yeah. Um, because a lot of these new facilities are pre-manufactured and to hold the facility together on some of these, uh, they, and there's bars that go across the ground yeah. and they will, cattle will stop at that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But if you bury the bars, then they won't see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good point. Do you have a favourite breed of cow? And I wonder if this might be um, uh, linked perhaps to behavioural traits, you know, sort of temperament of, of cow beef. Well, across. I think um, different breeds of cattle uh, work for different things. Now, some breeds of cattle will get scared more easily than others. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of variation within a breed. Let's take Angus, for example. I have seen Angus that were genetically really wild, trying to break out of everything, and other Angus really calm. One time in one of my labs, um, they used some Angus semen that they will never use again and bred one of the wildest steers I've ever seen. Yeah. And he was in my lab wow. right next to other calm cattle. Mm. And that was totally genetic. Now, one of the places where you'll really see the differences in the genetics is when the animal is suddenly confronted with something new. Yeah. Like a yellow safety vest just pops up. Yeah. That animal that has a flighty genetics, not a bigger reaction. Yeah. See, the thing about new experiences is they're both scary and attractive. Yeah. If I put a flag out in the middle of the pasture, cattle will walk up to it. Mm. But if a flag gets shoved in the cattle's face, the ones with the more flighty genetics will have a bigger, stronger reaction than the ones with the calmer genetics. Mm-hmm. Sudden novelty shoved in their face. Mm-hmm. Like maybe going to a show and seeing flags for the first time, the animal with the flighty temperament will have a much bigger reaction than the animal with the genetically calmer temperament. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important, especially with show cattle, to get them used to things they'll see at the show, like flags, bikes, and balloons. Yeah, I call those the big three. And now we have drones. They can also mm. be an issue. Yeah, good point. Because they're very noisy as well, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say would be the one of the key messages you'd like, or certainly going back to your book, Visual Thinking, what would you say some of the most important messages are that you're trying to really focus on at the moment through that book and through your work talking about, you know, getting different minds to work, to work together? Well, we need the different kinds of minds. And right now, in a lot of educational systems, the emphasis on, is on the mathematics. And what I have found in engineering, there's two parts of engineering. There's a the mathematical part of engineering. But then there's also the visual part, where you've got people that just invent mechanical equipment. I mean, think things like farm implements. They are mechanical devices that are extremely clever. And I'm concerned that my kind of thinker, the object visualizer, who has difficulty with algebra, is getting screened out. And you need us. It's a different type of problem solving. Right now, the educational system is favoring the mathematical minds and the verbal word minds. And you need all the different kinds of thinking. For example, I'm building a big food processing plant. The mathematical minds will do the refrigeration and the boilers and make sure the building is going to withstand wind load, things like that. And my kind of mind invents the mechanical devices in that in that factory. Think things like packaging equipment, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. And and we need these different kinds of minds. Yeah. Um, and I know you've also spoken about exposure and then mentoring. So children to be exposed to different um, 
environments, etc. I know you were saying you you went you know you did a lot of horse riding. You were went and worked on cattle uh, ranch because you weren't well, from an I, agricultural I, what background. Happened in the U- yeah. What's happened in the U.S. with education is they'll have tra- skilled trades classes in the what they call community college after high school. Yeah. But to get students interested, they need to be exposed to building things when they're in elementary school. Right. We've got too many kids today growing up never used a tool. Yeah. They've never measured anything. Yeah. This is, is really bad. Yeah. Uh, shock teachers tell me they have to spend three days teaching um, students how to measure. Um, wow. Kids need to be exposed to things they can turn into careers way before they graduate my school. Yeah, yeah. And I guess one of the nice things, thinking about agriculture in particular, and I've spoken to a lot of people on the show now who actually weren't from an agricultural background, and I think to your point as well, being exposed and knowing that that is an option, it sounds as though you're saying the earlier you, these children can be exposed to this is an opportunity for them to develop into a career, the better. Well, I want to see these kids that are different um, because I, I get out and be successful. I've worked with a lot of individuals that owned metal fabrication shops, owned farms, that I'm almost certainly were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. Yeah. And these kids are, are not getting into these things today. And it's a big problem. We need their skills. And one of the things that's made my life satisfying is having, having an interesting career yeah. that's made life satisfying for me. And I want to see these kids that are different get out and do things like rotational grazing, get out and invent mechanical equipment. Yeah. Um, we need these skills and we need them really badly. Now, there's also an autistic uh, kid that's going to be super good at the math. See, mm-hmm. autism can come like in two varieties, a mathematical mind. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be your people on the artificial intelligence and the visual mind. And we need both. I know you feeling as you're going around and talking to more and more uh, people and doing like TED Talks, etc. on this. Do you feel it's being there are changes being made or how do you think people can can go about including visual thinkers? Well, we're going to need them because one of the things I've noticed in the scientific literature, and I don't think this is good, is to do a review of the literature just kind of with an algorithm. You know, there's still a need when you're reviewing scientific literature to um, have people that are really knowledgeable. Because if one of those lit reviews is done in my area, I'm saying, yeah, yes, you left out quite a few important papers. I can't do the mathematics, but you need our visual thinkers, especially in, on scientific research, to work on making sure methods are described. They matter. For example, if you're doing a meat quality experiment, and you don't tell me what you fed your animals, that can change the results of a meat quality experiment. Yeah. I just saw a paper within the last six months that made this mistake. See, I think what happens on something like the feed is, is let's say you work in a country, especially if you haven't traveled, you just assume everybody knows what the feed is. Yeah. But if you haven't done much travel, then you don't realize that maybe in another country, They'll feed that animal a different grain. It's a really good point, as you say. You get into that sort of localised trap, don't you? It's like, well, this is how it's done here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, really good point. Mm -hmm. But I'm very concerned right now, and I've read papers with tons of mathematics in it, which I don't understand, but they were training these algorithms with behaviour data, which they did not explain how they collected it. Wow. That's a big problem. Yeah, you need the non-mathematician to work on the method section. Yeah, 
it's another example of collaboration, isn't it? As you say, you can't just rely on one That's right. way of thinking. That, okay. that, is, that is right. But your first step is the mathematicians have to understand that my kind of thinking exists. They think in patterns yeah. Yeah. where I think in pictures. Okay, how did you collect behavior data? Let's say it's lameness data, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, did you collect it by just observing it with one of the scoring systems? Mm-hmm. Did you put accelerometer bracelets on the cattle? Mm-hmm. What did you do? Yeah. And then there's continuous observation of behavior. There's methods like scan sampling. Yeah. What did you do to collect the behavior data yeah. that's used to calibrate the AI system? Yeah. yeah. Because how can anyone hope to, um, to, to, to do that same work in another a different study if they don't know those kind of details? Well, they don't, there's no way you can replicate the work yeah. because you don't know how they collected the behavior data. I just looked at a paper, just the, I do quite a bit of journal article with you, and I just looked at the paper the other day. Um, well, they didn't tell me how they collected the behavior data. Mm. Somebody else going to have to do the math, but, but I'm the one who now says, well, how did you collect your behavior data? Mm. What kind mm-hmm. of cameras did you use? Was it cameras? Mm-hmm. Was it live observation? Mm-hmm. How were the cameras located? Yeah. That's going to change what you can observe. Yeah. Where a camera is positioned, it matters. Yeah. You oh. see, I see that as I discuss it. Yeah. So how important do you think it is that, for example, in the veterinary profession, we consider making sure we have enough visual thinkers coming into the profession? A lot of good veterinarians are getting screened out because the prerequisites, at least in the U.S., you've got to have all these higher math classes just yeah. to get into veterinary school. Yeah. Even yeah. though the veterinarian doesn't use algebra or calculus, yeah. except for a very tiny amount of algebra with drug dosing, and that can be memorized. Mm-hmm. Because you adjust that, and, and you have to do drug dosing accurately. That, that you have to do. Yeah. But that's a small amount of math, and you just memorize it and spit it out. Yeah. But what, would, what kept me out of veterinary school was I could not do the math prerequisites. Yeah. This is the problem. And I was in Canada, in Quebec, um, about within the last year, and uh, uh, spending time with uh, people that owned a veterinary practice for cattle, and they told me their best bovine veterinarian almost failed some of the exams in math, but he was absolutely their best bovine veterinarian especially if he couldn't figure out what was wrong with cattle he was the one who did it wow he was a visual thinker yes exactly well i can only hope that through your because you have such an amazingly high profile and people love to hear you talk you know this has to be getting through to those people that can make these decisions and make the changes well this is i think it's really important and i hope um i've talked about things that go beyond um, on farming but it's something that I think agriculture has got to really worry about this because we need these skills. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. you've got AI systems right now being trained yeah. uh, with data where nobody knows how they collected it. Yeah. Where do you see agriculture and the farming industry can really focus their efforts? Perhaps something you've already started seeing and you think we can do more of? Well, that's just it. And while on my trip to the UK last week, I saw some wonderful work that's being done on regenerative agriculture and rotational grazing. I went to three wonderful farms where they're doing very, very good things with rotational grazing. It's improving biodiversity of the land. 
Uh, this is an example of how we can use cattle to improve land. Yeah. Uh, we're doing also things with some good work with rotational grazing here in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where grazing animals, cattle and sheep, yeah. you know, can be used to improve land when they're used correctly. But more and more people are, um, are doing rotational grazing, regenerative agriculture. I want to really encourage that. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time, Temple, and for explaining the concept of visual thinking and also the importance of getting different minds working together to achieve better solutions to the challenges that we face in uh, veterinary agriculture and farming. Your work has and continues to improve the lives of animals and people, making real change in the real world. So thank you for telling us a bit about this today. All right. Thank you so much. And it was wonderful to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Temple. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please follow or subscribe to the show so you can join me next time when I'll be talking more about communication, cows and coffee.